Done with frizz? Say goodbye to that poof. Repel humidity and tame those flyaways. One drop, frizz stops with John Frieda Frizzy Serum. Your hair talks and frizz never interrupts. John Frieda Frizzy Serum. One drop, frizz stops. Only from John Frieda. Want to make your blonde blonde? Sheer Blonde Go Blonder Collection by John Frieda lightens and brightens hair to full shades to give you your best blonde every day. Your hair talks. Make a statement with Sheer Blonde Go Blonder Collection. Only from John Frieda. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Locked On Clippers podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Han. Today is Friday, April 21st, 2017, and we are here with our fifth and final episode of the week, talking Clippers, talking NBA playoffs, especially talking this Clippers-Jazz first-round series, which is currently tied 1-1 going into tonight's Game 3. Now, for a really in-depth look on what's gone on so far in this series and kind of what to expect moving forward, I would definitely recommend you checking out the prior podcasts from this week if you haven't listened to them already, especially, I believe, on Tuesday and Wednesday. I had two long shows, really went in-depth with a lot of topics. Obviously, with yesterday's podcast and now today's, there's a little less to talk about just because there hasn't been any fresh basketball, so we're sort of rehashing the same things. But today I'm going to talk a little bit about where we could be on Monday when we meet again for the first episode of next week, what to look for in Game 3 and then in Game 4, projecting as best I can for a Game 4 that we don't know what the series is going to be then because we don't know how Game 3 has gone yet, and then finishing with a look around the league, um, Eastern and Western playoffs as we head to the weekend. So... First things first, like I said, because there are two games in between now and our next episode, there are a lot of things that we don't know. We don't know about injuries, wins and losses, matchups, circumstances, anything. We we don't, there's a little, the amount of playoff basketball that has been played since this series began last Saturday, two games, even though it feels like it's we've been in the series for a month already because there have been so many off days. We're going to have that many games in between now and our next podcast. The same 96 minutes of basketball that we've seen so far. So obviously when we talk on Monday, we're going to have a much larger data set to look at to kind of analyze how this series is going. But what we do know, no matter what, is that when we talk on Monday, this series will still be going on. And that Tuesday these teams will be playing Game 5 in Los Angeles. Now, there's three possible settings for that Game 5. Setting number one, the Utah Jazz are able to win both games at home. They head into Game 5 in Los Angeles looking to eliminate the Clippers, and the Clippers, who were the favorites in this series, the more experienced team with the playoff pedigree, and with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and J.J. Redick all entering free agency, are now facing a 3-1 series deficit to a team that they should beat with a must-win game at home, and then a must-win game in Utah, and then a must-win game back at home again in Game 7, just so that they can limp into the second round against the Golden State Warriors. The second possible setting is that these teams split these next two games. They come into a crucial Game 5, the Clippers feeling 
if not confident, at least relieved that they have been able to take home court advantage back. Utah possibly feeling a bit discouraged that they stole game one, but then lost either game three or game four at home, and now are going to need another win in L.A., that series is probably going seven games if we come back to L.A. for game five, tied 2-2. The third possible setting is that the Clippers take both games in Utah. They come into game five at home hot on a winning streak, confident as all hell because they've just won three games in a row after dropping game one at the buzzer, and the Jazz come in kind of already defeated, possibly still missing Rudy Gobert, having lost two games at home and now facing the prospect of needing two wins in Los Angeles, game five and game seven, as well as a game at home and a win at home in game six to make it out of the series. Those are the three settings. 3-1 Jazz, 2-2, 3-1 Clippers. Now, I don't think 3-1 Jazz is going to happen. Even though Utah is playing both of these games at home, I just feel like, especially if the Clippers lose game three, Chris Paul is not going to let them lose game four. I think that the Clippers have enough, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to be overconfident and, and jinx myself um, in any way, and so I, I'm officially like distancing myself from the team and taking off my Clippers fan hat and putting on my analyst hat, so like, I'm jinx-free right now. This is not me as the Clippers fan talking. This is just me, my perspective. I think that Chris Paul is good enough. And I think that there's enough of a talent disparity at the top between these two teams. This is something that Andy Bailey on Twitter, who is a Jazz fan and writes for Bleacher Report, was telling me. He said the problem for the Jazz in this series is that there's just too much of a talent disparity at the top. So no matter how cohesively they play or how poorly the Clippers shoot or how well Utah's bench outplays the Clippers' bench, when it comes down to these big moments in big games, over a large sample size when you're talking about a lot of big moments in seven big games, the Jazz don't have anyone on the level of Chris Paul who can execute. And we've seen in stretches in both of these games, Chris Paul really take over. In game one, it wasn't quite enough as the Clippers lost to the buzzer. In game two, the Clippers won, not in a blowout, but somewhat comfortably leading for most of the game. I don't think Chris Paul, I think, I don't think Chris Paul is going to let the Clippers lose this series. And I think that he's good enough that him really locking in and taking over will be enough for them to win this series. Obviously, that's not how you want to win. You want to win by playing well. But I think if push comes to shove, he will take over and drag this team across the finish line. But, again, that's not how you want to win. You want to win playing as a unit. You want to win on the success of... Blake Griffin ideally so that he can really get going for that second round matchup against the Golden State Warriors but so I don't think that first setting where Utah wins both games and heads into game five up 3-1 is I don't think that's especially likely I think also not especially likely but more likely would be the Clippers winning both games in Utah now this largely depends on if Rudy Gobert misses both remaining games if he does obviously the Clippers have a strong chance of winning any game that Rudy Gobert is out. But all it takes is a hot shooting night for Utah or who knows what chaos because there's just chaos in NBA basketball sometimes for one of those games to swing. I think the most likely outcome 
is that we're coming back for game five on Tuesday tied 2-2, and this game is stretching to seven. I th- or this series, excuse me, is stretching to seven. I think if the Clippers can win both games in Utah, they'll close it out in five at home, which would be the ideal scenario. But the most likely scenario right now, I believe, would be for the Clippers to win the series in seven games. Possibly the second most likely scenario would be Utah winning in six games, splitting these two, the Clippers win game five, and then Utah wins 4-2 in... Or no, if... um. If Utah goes up 3-1, maybe. I don't know. I've, I just... I feel like the, you know, logic would say Clippers in 7, Jazz in 6, Clippers in 5 as, like, the three likely ways this series could end in that order. But something tells me that the Jazz... Maybe it's, maybe it's irrational fandom on my part. I don't know. But something in the way Chris Paul has taken over for stretches in these couple of games tells me that he's not letting this team lose this series. And... I think that he's good enough for that to be the case. So let's talk a little bit about some things to watch in these two games, kind of as best as I can guide you without really knowing, you know, especially for game four, knowing what's going to go on. So some of the things are obvious. We want to look for J.J. Redick versus Joe Ingles. J.J. Redick has been stifled the best the best defense I've ever seen anyone play on J.J. Redick, and this includes a playoff series against the San Antonio Spurs where Kawhi Leonard was guarding him. Joe Ingles has done a better job on J.J. Redick than Kawhi Leonard did, and that is not hyperbolic at all. It's true. Because Redick isn't cold, he's frozen. And what I mean by that is every shooter goes through cold stretches. It wouldn't be insane for J.J. Redick to be 2-for-12 from 3 in the first two games of the series, and you say, man, J.J.'s cold, we really need him to get going. But J.J.'s not 2-for-12. J.J. hasn't even attempted 12 shots yet in this series, I don't think. And it's because he's being completely frozen out by Joe Ingles. He's not getting open, he's not getting touches, he's not getting his shot off, and even when he was finally able to get a little bit of space... Now he's rattled because he's been so smothered all game. We saw that in the second half a little bit. He got free a few times for little floaters or runners, and both times he seemed almost a little over-anxious because he'd been so smothered by Joe Ingles in the first six quarters of the series. So can Doc Rivers come up with creative sets to get J.J. Redick open, to get him some shots and kind of make that key part of the Clippers' offense a weapon again? Because what we've seen is that the Clippers are shooting 32% from deep in this series. And a big part of that is that J.J. Redick, their best shooter, can't get shots off. Or at least can't get quality shots off. Another thing to watch for in Game 3... Well, that the Redick thing you should really be watching for in both games. In both games, I would also be watching Joe Johnson when he comes in off the bench. Johnson had a little bit of a better game in Game 1, and it was enough to push Utah over the top. He was okay in Game 2, but not as good, and Utah fell a little short. The Clippers do not have an answer for him on their healthy roster right now. They just don't have an answer for him. And it's shown in both games, really. he's, He's gotten what he wanted when he wants it on the offensive end. And then Utah goes to that closing lineup, 
where they've been playing around Derek Favors, George Hill, Joe Ingles, Gordon Hayward, and Joe Johnson. And it's just hard for the Clippers to match up with that because they're so small with Chris Paul and J.D. Redick, that tiny backcourt. Obviously, Rukenbaum Mute has done a terrific job on Gordon Hayward. Blake Griffin is now having to guard a perimeter scorer. Though that's those are some rough matchups, pretty much everywhere except DeAndre Jordan and Luke and Bamute. It gives the Clippers a rough matchup. By the way, quick shout out to Luke and Bamute, who's been he's done a terrific job in this series, and he's finally getting some recognition around the media. There was a Ringer article, um, where I'm I'm going to read you an excerpt from Micah Peters on the Ringer. The Jazz craned their necks across the finish line on Saturday against the Clippers thanks to Joe Johnson, but contract year Gordon Hayward put up only 19 points while making less than half of his shots. In Tuesday night's Game 2 loss, Hayward was noticeably stifled again with 20 on 5 of 15 shooting. Why? It's simple. Hayward gets nervous playing in front of his father, Luke Mbamute. So even we've got national media outlets kind of conceding that Luke has been sunning Gordon Hayward in this series. And hopefully that can continue, because that's been a big part of the Clippers suppressing Utah's offense and, and really keeping them in check. I'm also, I'm also going to be really especially looking, with Rudy Gobert out, for DeAndre Jordan to dominate like he did in Game 2. He was okay in Game 1. He didn't dominate. In Game 2, he dominated. He was... And what's funny is him being more aggressive and getting those lobs and finishing seemed to spark better defense. And he was doing a great job of hedging out, deterring, recovering, really anchoring the Clippers' defense. Him and Luke Mbamute, aside from their individual matchups, were both terrific in Game 2 on switches and traps in just the right moment to force turnovers or shot clock violations. And when you've got two guys out there defending at that level, plus Chris Paul, who makes really smart plays, it makes up for a lot. Now, it doesn't quite make up for the fact that Blake Griffin has kind of been taking a nap on defense for these two games, but if Blake can wake up and be engaged, you know, Blake's never been an amazing defender, but we've seen him be a plus defender when he's engaged. And we even saw him make one amazing play, I believe it was in game two, that helped side block, and then he came down and got the dunk on the other end. But overall, he's been very disengaged on that end in that series, and hopefully that will definitely change going forward. Now, the main way that Game 3 and Game 4 will be different, in my mind, after listing some things to watch for Game 3, the obvious way is that Austin Rivers and Rudy Gobert, who have both been officially ruled out for Game 3, could potentially return for Game 4. Austin Rivers, it seems a little more likely he's been targeting Game 4 for a while now, it's not certain, but it seems as though Austin Rivers will play on Sunday in Game 4. And as soon as we have an update on that, we'll let you know on Twitter, at LucasJahan, at ClipsNationSBN, and on the blog, ClipsNation.com. Rudy Gobert is a little bit more of a question mark, because the Jazz have been very secretive about his injury. So we don't know if he's going to be back on Sunday, or if he's going to miss weeks potentially the whole series, potentially a whole second round series. We don't know. Now, I would hedge against him being back on Sunday, but again, we don't know for sure. So those are 
I mean, there obviously two ways in which the series could drastically change between games three and four. Austin Rivers coming back, even though he's not as huge of a factor as Rudy Gobert, adds a completely different wrinkle to the Clippers because he gives them that extra two-way wing that they lack in the Joe Johnson matchup and can hopefully help negate that. But then he gives them a little bit of a bigger, more athletic shooting guard to use against Joe Ingles, which is a spot... Now, Joe Ingles isn't killing the Clippers offensively, but defensively, Crawford and Rivers have both really struggled in the first two games. And Austin Rivers... Crawford and Redick, I mean, have both really struggled. And Austin Rivers gives the Clippers a legit two-way third option at shooting guard. Raymond Felton struggles offensively. There's not really anyone else that you're going to slide over to shooting guard with within the Clippers' playoff rotation. So it's just Redick, Crawford, who have both been struggling, and Felton, who isn't a great shooter. Austin Rivers gives you a really competent two-way player with sufficient shooting guard size to throw at that spot if Redick and Crawford are both struggling again. So that's those are two big ways that he helps. Another scorer and wing defender off the bench, and then a legitimate option at shooting guard for when Crawford and Redick are having slow nights. Rudy Gobert obviously changes the series in a much bigger way for the Utah Jazz as arguably their best player, definitely their best defender. But what's interesting is that the Clippers, at least in these first two games, have struggled far more against the Gobert-less Jazz than they have in the last five years with Rudy Gobert on the floor as the Clippers have gone 18-2 and in their last 20 games against Utah. So maybe it makes Utah all, the, all that much more scarier. Rudy Gobert comes back and they're able to maintain this level of play around him. Maybe Rudy, Go- Rudy Gobert comes back and the Jazz revert to being the team that we saw in the regular season as the Clippers handled them in three of the four games and only lost because the Jazz had their best shooting night of the season, shooting 67% from three, and even that game was close. So maybe Rudy, Go- Rudy Gobert comes back and it changes the series in the Clippers' favor. It's, it's one of the strangest things that I can remember seeing a team losing its best player, a team that is in a really hard matchup with a team that normally dominates them. Utah is normally dominated by the Clippers, and Utah loses their best player, and now all of a sudden they're more competitive versus the Clippers. It would be like if Chris Paul got hurt, and all of a sudden the Clippers could beat the Warriors. It just does something that doesn't quite add up there. So I'm definitely interested to see some more games with Rudy Gobert out, but then possibly if he does return, or at least next year when these teams play again, to kind of see why that could be that they are playing the Clippers better without Gobert, or if it's just some sort of fluky coincidence, or if it's that Utah is playing better come the postseason. Now, aside from the injuries, the other way that Game 4 is going to be different than Game 3 is the intensity. Because even if we come back to LA for game five on Tuesday tied 2-2 somewhere in between where we are today at 1-1 and where we'll be on Tuesday at 2-2 someone's going to be up 2-1 obviously whoever wins game three is going to be up 2-1 and that makes game four a crucial game for whoever's down if the Clippers are down they really are going to come out 
guns blazing 100% to try to avoid that 3-1 deficit that would almost doom them to elimination. The Utah Jazz, even though they have less of an expectation and a first-round exit isn't going to be as tragic for them as it would be for the Clippers, if the Jazz are down 2-1 and they're staring straight at a Game 5 in L.A., they know how important Game 4 in Utah is because you don't want to go down 3-1 going into L.A. having just dropped three games in a row. You really want that game so you can at least make it a series. Now, I think if if Utah can do that and tie it 2-2, we'll be looking at a seven-game series. I think if the Clippers can go up 3-1, I think they close it out in five. And that gives Utah all the more reason to be go to go after that game four with crazy intensity to try to either stretch the series out or prevent the Clippers from stretching it out. Now, the reason I bring up the intensity, which is... Um, I mean, obviously, playoff games are always going to be intense. But this series, while it has been hard-fought and intense, and I think both teams have played with a, with a very good quality, it hasn't been chippy. There haven't been technical fouls. There hasn't been a flagrant foul or a shoving match or some serious jawing. We haven't seen any sort of like rivalry between these two teams. We've seen like really good competitive high-level basketball where both teams are very respectful of their opponent, which is great and sportsmanlike and wonderful. And as we get down the road in this seven-game series and one team or the other begins to seriously face elimination in a way that you don't when you've only lost one game, it's going to start getting more chippy, especially on the Clippers' side. We know this from experience. The Clippers talk. The Clippers commit hard fouls. The Clippers get in people's faces. And the Clippers have the kind of attitude in Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan that tends to draw hard fouls from the other team. So I don't think that we're going to escape this series without some really tense, blood-boiling moments. We just haven't seen them yet. And I think that game four, because someone's season is going to really start to be on the line, it's not an elimination game, but it's like the next best thing. You don't want to go down 3-1. Whoever's staring that 2-1 deficit in the face is going to push the agenda. They're going to come out trying to get under people's skin. They're going to deliver a foul that sends a message. They're going to be a little more backed into a corner. And that's when I think we'll start to see some more emotion in this series, which as long as it doesn't get dirty, I think emotion can bring a great intensity and even raise the quality of basketball. You get some jawing after a hard foul. You get maybe some double text calls with guys arguing. That just builds the stakes. It builds the emotion. It builds a rivalry. Now, what you don't want is Andrew Bynum throwing a cheap shot at J.J. Barea while he's in the air with two minutes left and the Clippers about to be, or, and the Lakers about to be eliminated. I don't know if any of you guys remember that play from a few years ago. As the Mavericks were about to eliminate the Lakers, J.J. Barea shooting shot with like 
two minutes left in the elimination game. Utah's up big, and Andrew Bynum just levels him. We don't want to see that. We don't even want to see dirty plays when the series is still competitive. But it would be nice to see a little more physical emotion, maybe for these guys to start acting like they don't like each other. Um, because so far it seemed like both like these guys really like each other. Like like it's two really respectful teams going head to head, and that's great to an extent because it shows you know it shows a little bit of character. But I think it also shows character when your season's on the line that the emotions get ratcheted up a notch. And again, that's what I'm looking for in Game 4. I don't think it'll be the case necessarily in Game 3. And then the other factor that will contribute to that, of course, is Utah's crowd, which creates a much louder, more oppressive environment than the Clippers' crowd does, which is going to be a very interesting ocean for the Clippers to navigate. But I think we'll really start to see that intensity and chippiness come out in Game 4 when either team is really staring elimination in the face. Now, just quickly to close the episode with a look around the league and some results. Last night, the Cavaliers beat the Indiana Pacers to take a 3-0 series lead, so that series is essentially done. It looked like the Pacers were going to win. They, they had a nice lead going, and they just fell apart. The Milwaukee Bucks blew out the Toronto Raptors to take a 2-1 lead. The big thing for the Raptors, I think, is to not get too bogged down in this loss. Because they're in a similar boat as the Clippers. Tied 1-1, going to two games hosted by the lower seed for 3-4. and four. Now, if you guys recall, in series where the Clippers are the lower-seeded team, you don't go crazy and panic after a game one loss because your goal is to split. You've got games three, four, and six at home. Your goal is to split one and two. Now, if you lose both of them, there's a lot of pressure on games three and four. You can't lose a home game if you lose both of the road games to open the series. But so for Toronto, the three seed, Milwaukee, the six seed, Milwaukee comes in the series, their goal is to win one of those first two games, and they did it. If you're Toronto, your goal wasn't win game three. Your goal was win one of the next two games, split, just like Milwaukee's. Milwaukee wasn't upset with that game two loss because Milwaukee's goal was to split. They already accomplished it in game one. Toronto's goal is to split. They didn't need game three. They needed game three or game four. So the big thing for them is to not get too bogged down in the fact that they lost by 27 points in Game 3. It's for them to turn around and win Game 4 regardless of what happened in Game 3 so that they come back into the best of three series, two of them at home, instead of needing to win three games in a row. The Clippers, when they beat the San Antonio Spurs in the first round of playoffs a couple years ago, lost one game horribly. I forget what the margin was, but it was a... An insane blowout. Embarrassing. And they ended up winning that series in seven games. Don't let one bad game define your series. Memphis was able to beat the San Antonio Spurs tonight. They had a huge third quarter that kind of helped them pull away in the game. And then they held on late. 
So now Memphis is tied 2-1. If San Antonio can win game four, you go to San Antonio for game five up 3-1, you feel pretty good about a closeout there. But if Memphis can win game four, now the series starts all over, and those two bad losses that that they had in games one and two are basically erased by two home wins. And they've got a chance to really stretch that series to seven games. And once you get to a game seven, anything can happen. Now, on Friday night, the Clippers obviously are playing. They're actually playing on ESPN2. So normally we've seen during the week a doubleheader on either ESPN or TNT and then a third game on NBA TV. What's happening on Friday is that Boston, Chicago, and Houston, OKC game threes are on ESPN. Clippers Jazz game three is on ESPN 2 at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time. So it's a little earlier. It's not a 7.30 tip, 7 o'clock. So make sure you're ready for that. But Boston, Chicago, I think is going to be possibly one of the most compelling game threes because we rarely, 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 I don't know if we've ever seen a number one seed be down 2-0 going into game three of the first round. So can Boston show that they're a one seed and take these games back in Chicago and make up for those bad losses? Can Chicago capitalize and win at least one of these next two games at home, especially if they win this one and go up 3-0? Could they sweep? Can an eight seed sweep a one seed? That I mean, it's it's not a close series in the sense that it's 2-0 and Chicago has had two good wins on the road, but it's very compelling because it's an 8 versus a 1. And then Houston, OKC, I think we'll really see in this game 3 if Oklahoma City is going to put up a fight. If Oklahoma City loses this, they might not get swept, but they're going down in 5. If Oklahoma City wins this game, they leave the door open to extend this series to six or seven games. Then on Saturday and Sunday, we've got the full slate of games. So um, every series is playing either game three or game four on Saturday or Sunday. Toronto, Milwaukee, San Antonio, Memphis, game four is on Saturday. Washington, Atlanta, Golden State, Portland, game three is on Saturday. And then Sunday is full of game fours. Cleveland, Indiana, Houston, Oklahoma City, Boston, Chicago, the Clippers, and the Jazz. So obviously we'll have a lot to break down when we meet again on Monday for our first episode of next week. In the meantime, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, or you just want to see my tweets about the Clippers, feel free to follow me on Twitter at LucasJHan. You can go ahead and email me if you have obviously any questions or feedback, lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. For Clippers updates, follow at ClipsNationSBN on Twitter. Check out the ClipsNation blog, www.ClipsNation.com. And follow ClipsNation on Facebook by just typing ClipsNation in the Facebook search bar. I do live Q&A sometimes during games, so turn on the notifications for live videos so that you can join those conversations. And we'll see you back here next week to talk about exactly which of those three settings we're looking at going into Tuesday's Game 5 as well as the fates of teams around the league. Thanks for listening, guys. This is Lucas Hand signing off for Lockdown Clippers. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. 
There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.